Well, good morning, everyone. Glad to have everybody here. Glad to have some visitors with us this morning. Be pleased to uh, get to meet you afterwards. Uh, we have some of our number who aren't feeling well, some who are traveling. You can read about some of that in the back of the bulletin, and I suspect we'll have some announcements about that following the service. But for those of you who are here this morning, it's good to get to be with you, singing praise to God on high, getting to approach his throne in prayer, especially getting to remember the sacrifice of his son so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be redeemed back to him. Uh, And now also to get to study a portion of his word and and endeavor to be more like our father in the way that we live because of it. I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to the location from which our scripture reading was drawn, namely John chapter 21, John chapter 21. One of my best friends uh, I met when I was preaching in Maryland, he was preaching there as well at the time, he's now in Arizona, but he had kind of a classical way of beginning every single sermon. After a... uh, Welcome and, and uh, you know, welcoming everybody who's here. That was kind of like the idling of the engine. He pressed the pedal down. He told you what the passage was. The, the chapter of the book is this, the chapter is this, and the verse is that. And he'd say that again, made sure everybody was there. And the scripture reads, and he would read that passage. And then once he got done, uh, he would say, From this text, I would like to draw upon the blackboards of your mind and preach upon the subject, whatever that subject was for this morning. This morning, I'd like to look at this text in John chapter 21 and draw upon the blackboards of your mind as we talk about the question, do you really love Jesus? If you remember from the scripture reading, John chapter 21, this is a familiar place in scripture. This is after the resurrection of our Lord, but of course before his ascension. And Jesus has come to be beside the Sea of Galilee. And what's described for us in the first 14 verses of this chapter is is a very familiar occasion. I'll put some of these verses up on the screen. You can glance at them there in your version as well. Uh, We're aiming towards verses 15 through 22, but just so that we can kind of hit the ground running and get caught up to speed. You might recall in this text how the disciples have decided to go fishing. And Jesus performs a miracle on this particular occasion by providing them with just an overwhelming catch of fish. There is something that is special about Jesus providing this large catch of fish. And that special thing is that this is not the first time he's done so. This is not the first time he's done this exact miracle. You might have footnotes that ultimately lead you to passages where this is recorded previously. At the very beginning of Jesus' relationship with the men in this story, in Luke 5, he had done the very same thing. So when Jesus performs this miracle again, the disciples, as you can read, come to understand immediately, that's Jesus. Now, sometimes the question is raised, why didn't they know that was Jesus right off the bat? Was there something about his appearance that was different Was it just a distance from the shore sort of thing? What exactly is involved in there? And I don't really know. Whatever the case, there does seem to be some uh, evidence in the New Testament that Jesus' appearance was slightly different, at least at initially meeting people. But the fact is that Jesus does not appear to his disciples constantly following his resurrection. So he's not just continually in their presence for the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. The Gospels give us the impression that the disciples never really knew 
when they were going to see Jesus. And so if you'll think back, Peter had seen him on the day of the resurrection. He had appeared to the entire group of disciples later that very same day. And then a week later, he appears to the group again, this time with Thomas present. So you see the Lord following his resurrection. And then as far as we know, it's a week before they get to see him again. And in the meanwhile, they don't know exactly what's happening here. We are told there is a, a meeting in Galilee when Jesus meets with them and a, and a number of other disciples. But, but there's just no itinerary to it. There is no Jesus is walking through the streets and the towns and the villages like the days gone by where you can just always know where to find him or just look around and listen close enough. You're sure enough to hear him teaching somewhere. They don't have any idea where they're going to see Jesus, how long he's going to stick around on that particular occasion. And so in characteristic fashion, Jesus, again, just kind of appears. There's no warning. There's no appointment. But of course, the disciples are quite glad to get to see him. There are a number of things that jump out to me about this text, uh, particularly about Jesus, as we look at this account here. Not only does Jesus confirm that it is indeed him by working this particular miracle again, but you might recall Jesus takes a moment and eats breakfast with them. So if the disciples had thought, you know, maybe we don't know exactly what we're seeing, maybe we're hallucinating, as has sometimes been theorized, eating breakfast with Jesus is certainly going to put any of those kinds of concerns to rest. So he's not an apparition or anything like that that they're seeing at a distance and they're not quite sure what's going on. It's not as if they thought, you know, I think I saw Jesus in the crowd the other day. I thought I glimpsed him, but then when I turned and looked, he was, he was out of sight. I couldn't see him anywhere. He's right in front of them. He's eating and he's speaking with them. And there's a purpose for coming to meet them this morning, a job that needs doing. As you'll recall, we've talked about this in uh, a recent lesson. Jesus and Peter, the last time that they had had some significant time together, was the night before Jesus died. And if you'll think back to what you know about that discussion, Jesus had been with his disciples and had talked to them about being betrayed and being denied. And Peter had stood up in his early characteristic fashion and said not so lord i'm going to be with you even if everybody else fails you even if these guys do if the authorities come if you get into trouble even if it means death i will lay down my life for you i'm not going anywhere and as you'll remember jesus says to him peter no you think you're strong, you think you're going to stand, you think you can withstand everything that comes your way. The fact of the matter is, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. So not just once, not just run and fled, but actively denied Jesus three times. You know how as the story goes along, it works out exactly as Jesus said it was going to. And just within a few short hours, Peter's gone from saying, I'm not like the rest, even if they all fail you, I will not. To saying, I don't even know who this Jesus is. I'm not one of his disciples. You've got me confused with someone else. And calling down imprecations from God. Declaring, I absolutely am not. And if I am, you know, let me be accursed. So Peter thinks he's so strong and finds out he's quite weak. 
After Jesus is raised from the dead, he meets with Peter for a very brief occasion. He meets with the disciples for another couple of occasions, as we mentioned just a moment ago. But all of those are similarly quite brief. I don't get the impression from the text that there has been enough time between these meetings for Jesus and Peter to sit down and talk about what happened. But here in John chapter 21, the opportunity comes. So Jesus, in effect, says to Peter, Peter, we need to talk. The last time we spoke, you talked about how strong you were going to be. And we both know you weren't. And so, Peter, I want to discuss this with you. I want to know a few things from you, and I want to tell you a few things also. And I would like for us to look at the conversation that Jesus has with Peter here in John chapter 21. And I want to think about what Jesus tells us about discipleship in this very brief discussion between, um, between rabbi and disciple, between, between Lord and Savior and the one who has been saved. And I want to talk about this disciple who has so recently failed his master. And I want us to consider what it is that Peter learns about being a disciple on this day, what it is he learns about what it means to have love and faith for his Lord and how we ought to learn what, what he learned as well. So as you might imagine, this has got to be kind of the elephant on the beach, right? This is, this is a delicate subject because Peter knows the discussion that they've had before. He knows how he handled it. And as far as we read in scripture, it hasn't been discussed yet. So Jesus brings up in verse 15, the subject about Peter and his faith and his love for his Lord. If you read between the lines there, you can, you can see quite easily the tension of the situation. Peter's denied Jesus, and now he's sitting face to face with Jesus. So Jesus looks him in the eye and says, tell me, Peter, do you love me more than these? Because last time you said that you did, it didn't turn out to be true. So I'm going to ask you, and I want you to think, do you really love me as you said you did? One of the things I believe Jesus is trying to help Peter to learn is that if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to, to pick yourself up from this. And you're going to have to make whole what has been lacking in your faith up to this point. And that's going to be the, the first lesson that I want us to consider about discipleship from this particular text. And that is that our commitment to the Lord must be made complete, needs to be complete. So you have a picture here, quite a, quite a glimpse into the patience and the grace of our king. Jesus doesn't come up to Peter and say, listen, you messed up. I, I, I can't have you being one of my disciples anymore. I had, I had great plans for you. I had a purpose that I needed to serve with you going out and spreading the gospel during its infancy. I had other people that needed to hear the gospel from you and be strengthened by you. But, but you, I, I can't count on you anymore. I'm sorry, Peter. This, we're through. That is, of course, not the kind of Lord that you and I are blessed to serve. We serve a Lord who is always willing to have us back if we will come back. Which I know is quite easy sometimes for me to take for granted. Jesus nevertheless makes it quite clear to Peter, we do need to deal with this. We need to talk about your commitment. We've got to get this straightened out before we can really go any further. So he puts it to Peter, do you love me? 
As you might be aware, this text has kind of become a famous passage because when you look at the vocabulary behind the words that Jesus and Peter use, um, there's some, some alterations that can kind of catch your eye. Uh, you might not see it in the English version, depending upon which one you're reading, but it's there behind the text or behind the translation, and it's warranted a lot of discussion over the centuries. Uh, there are two different words that are used for love within this exchange, for example. Um, there are two different words used for feeding or tending. I think most of our, our English versions do a good job of reflecting that. Um, another one they usually show is how there's two different words used for sheep or for lambs, and as I said, throughout the centuries, you've got Bible students, Bible scholars have just kind of scratched their heads and, and made all kinds of things out of that. And I, I'm not sure that really is the point of what's going on here at all. Though I remember sermons where I made all sorts of things out of that, too. Um, talking in class earlier about not believing what you necessarily believed years ago because you've hopefully studied and, and, and learned more. Um, I've got teachers to thank for this particular point, but I believe these are just simple variations in the language. It's not really about whether Jesus uses agape or phileo for love. It's not really about whether he says feed or tend that is important. What you'll notice is a key detail in this that ultimately Jesus asks Peter, do you love me three times? I believe the reason for the, the threefold repetition lies in the fact that Peter had denied the Lord three times. So the same way that Jesus had denied the Christ three times, or Peter had denied the Christ, excuse me, three times, Jesus is now giving Peter the opportunity to affirm his love for him three times. He's now being asked to affirm what he had denied and is allowed to do so to the very same extent of his denial and I believe that this fact is, is the significant point here. Jesus wants Peter to come all the way back, as it were. So I want you to put these denials completely behind you. I want you to realize what happened. I want you to learn from what happened. But I need you to get back up now, step back into the game. And as you'll ultimately end with, follow me. As you'll recall, Peter seems to get the point pretty clear. So Jesus, Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. A second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I do. And then the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Anybody would realize after being asked the exact same question three times straight, there's a point being made here. And Peter's not unintelligent. And he is grieved. And I don't blame him. He also needs to understand, though, how grieved the Lord has a right to be. Because Jesus is the one that has been denied. If there is anything to the, the swapping between different words that goes on behind this text, it may be with the words for love. It might be that at this third time, Jesus kind of changes from asking with the unconditional love of agape to a perhaps lesser love for phileo. And correspondingly, Peter changes from having answered the Lord with that lesser phileo to that love of commitment found in agape. So there might be a process that, that Jesus is bringing Peter through in that particular area. Ultimately, with that or without it, there is a process, a learning one that Jesus is trying to bring Peter through.
I believe what this text shows us is that you and I can't just be unfaithful to God and commit sin and then just kind of casually walk back into being in a relationship with our Lord again. Do something that we know is wrong. Make the choice that a disciple of Jesus never should make and then just kind of, you know, Lord, I'm sorry, and and get right back into things as if nothing has ever happened. Lord, I'm sorry. I want to be yours again. Uh, I'm going I'm to put that stuff behind me and, uh, and, and not think about it anymore. Not learn anything from it. I believe God wants us to demonstrate that you and I have learned something from our mistakes. That I'm willing to work to be better the next time around. Not just to, oops, I sinned. I didn't mean to. Lord, I'm sorry. And then just get back to living my life as if there wasn't anything I ought to learn from what just happened. Which is not easy. It's unpleasant to have to sit there and think a moment about my failures. Not just, I'm glad that's over. But to learn from how I acted and the choices that I made and admit to my Lord, I have messed up. I have not been faithful. And perhaps there are times when I would rather just kind of forget about it and walk right back into a relationship with God and act as if that sin wasn't really all that big a deal afterwards and I'm forgiven so I don't got to think about it anymore. That's not the way that this works. And you see the the remorse that Peter shows after he denies the Lord. He goes out and weeps bitterly. But still Jesus sits down with him and says, I want you to acknowledge what happened. I want you to come to me with the same kind of dedication now that matches the same kind of, of, of rejection that you had earlier. I want you to acknowledge where you've been. I want us to deal with this. And I want you to come back to me completely. So I believe at one time or another, in one way or another, every one of us has been Peter. In some way, through action or perhaps even words, we've denied our allegiance to our Lord. Maybe you did it in a similar way that, that Peter did, where you had an opportunity to act like a Christian and chose to speak very differently. But there are just dozens of other ways that we can deny Jesus through the way that we live. What is important when we fail is to return from those failures and to not just return from them, but to grow stronger after those failures so that I don't keep repeating it. I need to renew my commitment to the Lord, not just get it back to to the way things were before, but with the determination to be who I should have been before that failure so that I won't fail that way again to grow. Because if I don't grow, then I'm the same exact person that just committed that, that, that sin, and I'm likely to do it all over again. There are times when looking closely at Peter, it's really, really easy to see something of myself, and, and it's not during his best moments. Um, maybe we become a little bit frustrated or aggravated because all of that just doesn't seem to go well with us for some reason we return from our failures and again if i'm being honest about it i have to admit very honest i get right back to it um my experience in my own life and and, and I, from from others that i have had the opportunity to you know study with and work with and, and see how things go for them has shown me that it seems to be there are very few people in the world who are just caught up in all kinds of sins. There are very few Christians who 
are tempted by just, you know, just oodles of different things and are, are just falling to a, a cornucopia of, of different temptations. Just a, a massive variety of sins pulling them down. And boy, they never quite know which one's going to sucker punch them that day. It doesn't usually seem to go that way. And I know it's not that way for me. I believe the problem we often have in life is we commit the same sins over and over and over again. Because we like those sins. Those are the things that appeal to us. And you can commit them so much that you kind of become to cherish them. Or kind of come to the point where you do. Where it's sort of a, a part of, of, of your character. It's a part of who you are. And if I commit that sin and I know it's wrong. But man, it's still something that I, I, I'm tempted by. And I want to come back to Jesus after that. And I want to make things right. And I want to be his disciple again. I'll quite quickly find myself going back into the exact same sin if I don't try to learn from what happened before and recognize that my commitment to Jesus is not as complete as it needs to be. So what Jesus is trying to get Peter to see here is I want you to get stronger from what has happened and stronger than those things. And may I, I, I submit to you that that's what true repentance is. It's not just, Lord, I'm sorry. It's, Lord, I'm sorry, and I'm going to be better. I, I'm going to come beyond those things so that I don't repeat them, so that we're not here again tomorrow or next week, etc. Where I'm actually sorry for this, and I want to make sure that it does not happen again. Because if I'm okay with it happening again, then I'm obviously not that sorry about it. So Jesus sits down with Peter and effectively tells him, I want you to renew your commitment to me in a way that's greater than it was before. Because you said that you loved me as much as anybody could. And that there was nothing that was ever going to cause you to, to falter in that faith. And look what happened. So we need to deal with this so that this thing that's been an obstacle for you isn't going to be an obstacle again. You'll notice Jesus does use, of course, the word love here as he's talking with Peter um, the word love in the New Testament is a word that indicates commitment so Jesus doesn't ask Peter do you believe in me now he did in the earlier stages of his, his ministry that was an appropriate question uh, who, do, who, do, who, do the, who do people say that I am who do you say that I am but they're far past that point now so he doesn't say, do you believe in me? He wants more. I want you to go beyond just simply recognizing I'm the Messiah. I'm the son of God. You're supposed to believe in me. You want to be one of my followers. I want to know, do you love me? Are you committed to me? At the cost of anything else. So love in scripture is, is a special kind of thing. It involves placing whatever the object of that love is in front of yourself. It involves abandoning your, your various interests and, and different items of selfishness that might get in the way of that thing that you love. So being a selfless person is a person who lives for others. And in this case, Jesus says, I want to know, Peter, if you're going to live for me. Are my goals and my will going to be more important to you than, than your own? And the way that he asks that is by saying simply, do you love me? Which means, are you going to commit yourself to me? Or are we going to continue to falter when that commitment is tested? 
It is a commitment to the Lord and then also to the good of others as he constantly finishes this with feed my sheep. So my sheep, you're working for Jesus Christ, but also to the benefit of others. It is this commitment to Jesus Christ and those for whom he was crucified that is is an active, sacrificial commitment. And Peter thought he was willing to make that sacrifice before and found out that he wasn't. And now he's seen the full extent of what a true sacrifice can be, or what, true, what, what ultimate sacrifice can be required of someone who's going to follow a crucified Messiah. And the Lord's asking him to commit. Very similar kind of thing that God says to Israel when he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Love the Lord. And that really is what God has always wanted from us, our love. And that's not just something so simple as I'm fond of, I appreciate, I really like. If I say I love my Lord, it requires of necessity action, sacrifice, and giving him the preeminence. So something that Peter is learning here is that if he's going to be a follower of Jesus, then his commitment has to be complete. For Peter, that means overcoming these denials, overcoming this weakness in his faith, this particular failure. You and I know what it is that that, that causes us to not be the Christians that we ought to be. I know my failures. I suspect you know yours. Um, Or at least I think I know my failures, probably some more that I'm not even aware of. Um, But if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it can't just be, boy, I really love Jesus, and I'm so thankful he's merciful, and he can overlook these things. Well, he'll forgive me if I'm willing to repent, but a part of repentance means I don't want to stay this way and just keep doing the same thing over and over again. I want to come to have a complete commitment to him, not a mostly commitment to him. And those sins and those temptations and those failures that have been in my life before, I've got to leave those things behind if I'm ever going to get on to the greater measure of service for the Lord in the future. And that's what Peter had to do here. There is a second lesson that Peter learns here, and you find it in verses um, 18 and 19. So Jesus says to Peter, okay, uh, you say you're committed to me. That is good. That's what I want. I appreciate that. And he's affirmed it three times now. And with that third time and Peter's grief over it, Jesus understands he's gotten the message. But something else that Peter needs to know is that, Peter, the day's coming when your life is going to be every bit as difficult as it just was. So when your life was on the line, that's when your commitment to me failed. You need to know You think you're committed to me. You're saying that you love me again, that I absolutely do love you, Lord. Understand you are going to be given an opportunity to pass this test again. Because your life is going to be challenging and filled with suffering. And you are going to even die in a way that's not going to be peaceful. You think you're willing to lay down your life for me. I want want to tell you and give you an insight into what that's going to involve. You are going to be led... Somewhere you do not wish to go. You're going to stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you. You're going to be a prisoner. You're not going to die an old man in your bed someplace. There's going to be some difficulties for you down the line. And you remember when I told you there might be difficulties and you thought you were ready. You were not. So there are more coming and you need to truly be ready. 
It was a common thing for Jesus to talk about how his disciples were going to have to face some challenges. In uh, Luke 9, when someone said they wanted to follow Jesus, Jesus said, Don't you know the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So if you're going to be following me, you're going to be in for some difficult times. It's not going to just be easy. And he tries to make that very clear in the things that he teaches, and, and, and usually pretty early on. In Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So pretty much from the get-go, Jesus is making it clear, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be hard. And so he tells Peter here specifically, hardships are going to come. Now again, this isn't the first time Peter's been warned of this. Back in Matthew 26, and then in the parallel of Luke 22, Jesus said to his disciples, you guys think that you're going to stand with me and you think this is going to be the, the beginning of a new messianic kingdom and we're going to take out the Romans. But I'm telling you tonight, all of you are going to be scattered. Every one of you is going to abandon me. And that's the occasion when Peter says, no, Lord, I will stick with you. Even if everyone else fails, for, fails you, I will lay down my life for you. And it seems that Jesus had, had brought this up before when he asked him in John 21 verse 15, Simon, do you love me more than these, more than these guys do? Because that's what you said before. And it didn't work out that way. So now I'm wanting to know, do you, do you still feel that way? Do you still think you're stronger than everybody else? Do you still think that when troubles come along that you're not going to have a problem with it? Others might, but you're not going to. Because, Peter, you've got more troubles and more tests that lie ahead of you. And I believe that one of the things Jesus is trying to get Peter to see this second time around is that he doesn't need to be as quick as he was before to overestimate his strength. Because overestimating our strength and our capabilities is an easy way to get us left unprepared to face things. So what Peter's being called upon to do here is, 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 is not only recommit, but also summon courage. And I believe that's the second thing that Peter learns about discipleship. That not only must you overcome your sin and, and you make your commitment complete, but secondly, serving Jesus requires some courage. It is quite easy to think that we are ready, that we're prepared, that we're strong, when in fact we aren't. And Peter's been down that road just a while ago. So now Jesus says to him, all right, Peter, we're going to go through this again, as it were. We're going to have this conversation. And you've got to understand there's going to be some trials and some hardships that are coming. And I'm going to tell you about it before it happens so that you'll know about it. You need to appreciate you've got this test coming again. Are you going to be ready for it? Are you going to be brave enough to face it? And it's after, that, after he tells Peter this that he says to him in verse 19, now follow me. Jesus most certainly wants some discipleship from Peter. It's not a blind discipleship. You're not buying into something you don't know what all is going to be involved. You know, generally speaking, what's going to be there. So he says to Peter, I'm going to put it right in front of you like this, that it's going to be hard. And you in particular are going to actually meet a, a horrible end when that day comes. So what I'm asking of you is to 
follow me knowing the price you're going to pay. It's going to require a tremendous amount of courage from Peter. I can't imagine what what he must be thinking and feeling as he hears these things. And it is just a beautiful thing to realize that when you read 1 Peter in particular, and 2 Peter, and he's talking about suffering, and your faith to the Lord being made perfect through that, and serving God despite the different sufferings that you may be going through, and showing how you can be a Christian in all of that, that this is a Peter who can look back to these days, and also knows what he can look forward to. In John 16 and verse 33, Jesus had said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So it's, it's beautiful to get to read Jesus' take heart, I've overcome the world. But before that, in the world you will have tribulation. To Timothy, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Being a soldier is not an easy life. It's the reason that metaphor is employed. In chapter 4 and verse 5 of 2 Timothy, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. That's what Timothy was called to endure. So the fact of the matter is, following Jesus is going to take us places we might prefer perhaps not to go. I might choose not to have to go through all of this or to go through all of it the way that I'm having to go through it. But if I'm going to serve my Lord and I'm going to be faithful to him and I'm going to abide by his commands, then I've got to stick with whatever that difficult situation is and work hard to be faithful and try to sort it out. I don't get to to step away. So to be in situations in in which we would perhaps rather not be. Or a confrontation we might rather not have. Or persecution we might rather not live with. Jesus says, I want disciples who are going to face these things with courage. And that's something Peter had to come to understand. Well, then finally, a third lesson that Peter learns about discipleship is in verses 20 through 22. He's just learned that he's going to suffer. And he turns around and he sees John. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Lord, what about him? Is he going to have to suffer too? What's going to happen with him? And I'm not quite sure I understand all the implications of Peter's question. I know Jesus says, never mind with all that. Let's worry about you. But I don't know if why is he asking it. Is, 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 is am I the only one that's going to have to suffer? What's going to happen to him? Is it going to be evenly distributed? Or is this something that's got to come at me and me alone? Because he has just found out he's going to die a brutal death. I don't know exactly why Peter is asking this question. I don't know if he has given in to what is a a common temptation um, to kind of compare my situation with the situations of others and measure whether what I think about what I'm going through based upon what other people are going through. If if my life is like other people's lives, then then that's okay. If, If you know if I'm going through this hardship and other people are too. Well, then, you know, that, that, that's, that's at least fair. But if I'm going through this immense hardship and look at all these other folks who don't have to deal with all of that, then that's not okay. I don't know if that's the, the, the way in which Peter is asking this. You know, if I have to suffer all, all right, at least as long as I'm not the only one. So what about him? What about him? I don't know. 
there is a kind of concern that we can have for others that's, of course, Christ-like. What, what, what about them? But there's another kind of concern for others that can become unhealthy, and that's the kind of concern Peter may be showing here, where it's, you know, let's make sure things are on the, an even keel. All right, this is what's being asked of me. Well, what about him? And like I said, I don't know if that's what's going on behind Peter's question, but I do know that can go on behind some of my thoughts, where I compare myself against other people. There's never a whole lot of good that comes out of that. Jesus says to Peter, don't worry about him. I, I might have something different planned for John. If I, if I want him to survive until I come again, what in the world does that have to do with you and me? What does that have to do with your faithfulness? Why should that affect whether you're going to be strong? So Jesus says, don't worry about them. Don't worry about what you think is fair. Don't worry about how you think it should be because none of that has any bearing on your faith and your commitment to the Lord. And that's the, the third lesson that I would bring out of this text. And that is that your, your faith and your commitment must be with Christ first. Because I can look around at other people and see all sorts of different things. I can see good examples, bad examples, and a varying degree across the whole spectrum. I can see people living with little blessings or a lot of blessings. With a little bit of difficulty or a whole lot of difficulty and every different shade in between. And sometimes you can look at folks who are in different places in their life, different roles, different blessings, what have you, and convince myself they've got it easier than I do. They don't have to go through the different things that I'm having to go through. And I can conclude from that, well, I've got to work harder than these other people to keep my faith. They don't have to work as hard. They don't know the struggles that I'm going through. And if they don't have to go through all of this, why do I have to go through all of this? And if nobody else is doing this kind of work, why do I have to do it? I need to bring myself back to what Jesus says to Peter. What is that to you? Don't worry about the role of other people. Don't worry about what the Lord is doing with them or through them. The kingdom of God has all kinds of things to be done, all kinds of work in it. All kinds of lessons that need to be taught and examples that need to be set. And different people do different things. Different people are called upon with different abilities and different talents to fulfill different parts in the plan of God. So looking around at other people and saying, well, why aren't they doing this? Why do I have to do that? The answer here is simply, what's that to you? Don't worry about that. It does honestly remind me a lot of the book of Job where God finally shows or, or, or steps into the conversation and, and humbles everyone by saying, you know, all these different things that I've created and the ways that they work. Where were you when I sorted all of that out? So when it comes to all this stuff that you're bickering about and the unfair treatment that you think you've had, you need to trust me that I know what I'm doing. And ultimately, we're made privy in the book to, the, to the, the, the massive events that are behind what Job is going through. But up until that point, Job doesn't have any clue. And as far as we read, he's never really made uh, aware of the discussion that's taken place in, in heaven's courts. And why Job in particular is going through these things. The simple answer is, I'm God. You know that, right? So trust me. Sometimes that's a challenge. Sometimes we can also get the wrong impression of, of what um, the church and, 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 all, all, and our, our brethren in general 
um, what they're about and what we're supposed to take from that. Um, so what's the point of this group? The congregation that we're blessed to be a part of. What is the purpose of God creating this? It is a wonderful blessing to get to be members of this congregation. And I'm thankful for that every single week. Um, but as much as I am partial to the Park Road Church of Christ, my affections and my loyalties must be first with Jesus Christ. And then absolutely they need to be toward each of us. Helping each other, encouraging one another. But my loyalties don't lie in this body of believers first. My Christianity isn't defined by my experiences with this body of believers. It's defined by what Jesus says it needs to be. And my faith and my loyalty are anchored in him. And then this is, is, is an added portion of that. So the church is made up of people who are fallible and weak and sometimes do amazing things, but sometimes can't be counted on to do the things that they should do or the things that we would like them to do. Even when they're, they're sincere and they're trying to serve the Lord and they're trying to be faithful, they're just not going to catch everything that you might need from them. They're not going to be aware. Sometimes they're going to they're speak out of turn and say something the way that they shouldn't. And the point of all this is if I put my loyalties in, in, in my brethren first, then I'm going to get disappointed. The people will, will let you down. Even the people who are trying not to. And if my faith is in others, if I'm always looking around at others, and why this and why that, why do they have this and I don't have that, and I'm part of the church and yet this person is blessed in this way and I'm not, you can drive yourself crazy. So there are a tremendous amount of blessings that we get to take from, from being a part of the Lord's church and being a part of this particular local body. But the purpose of this church isn't so that we can come together and find in some kind of group mentality the answer to all our problems. You find those answers in Jesus. So God has certainly put us together for, for mutual care and comfort from each other. And sometimes we do a really good job of that. Sometimes we don't. But our first and foremost relationship is with our Lord. And even after the huge conversation that Jesus is having with Peter, Peter's eyes kind of drift. Edmund has reached this stage um, where if I'm trying to talk to him and tell him what he's supposed to do. Uh, and I know I never, ever, ever did this as a child. So my parents ought to be grateful but when I'm trying to talk to him and he's realized either he thinks he knows what I'm going to say or he's just not all that interested. He's just off on something else. His eyes are looking over here and look at me. He doesn't. He'll, he'll look and then boom, off to something else, and especially if he doesn't want to hear it. So he's, he's popping off to something that doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about here. Focus right here. We're talking about this. So Peter, you know, well, Lord, what about this man? Really, Peter? Never mind all that right now. And that's what Jesus is trying to say to Peter. Yeah, there are other people that aren't going to have it as hard as you. There are other folks that are going to go, go through this. They're going to go through that, whatever. That's irrelevant to you. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be faithful. So folks are going to have different blessings or lack thereof in their life. Folks are going to go through the same amount of difficulties, more or less. 
Folks are going to either reward your faith in them or they're going to disappoint you. They're going to sin. They're going to cause all sorts of difficult circumstances for you by their actions. But that doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't want you to do what he's laid out for you. Doesn't mean you get to point to them and get by with less commitment. So the Lord deals with us as individuals. He knows my weaknesses. And he knows yours. He knows the opportunities that I have and he knows yours. He knows our potential. Knows what we're capable of. And he uses that in the way that he sees fit. To paraphrase, where were you when I devised the plan that would save all mankind? Where were you when I sent my son to this earth and offered him as the sacrifice to forgive you of your sins? He is God. Trust him that he knows what he's doing. He is, after all, the king of this kingdom. I am merely fortunate enough that he has been gracious to allow me to be a citizen. And he can use one citizen for one thing and another citizen for another. And if that's what he can do, then praise be to God. And I don't need to make the mistake that Peter did. In thinking that that if God uses me in a way that is different, that somehow that's unfair. If this person's going through an easier time than I am, as far as I judge it, that somehow this is unfair. Why do I have to go through this? I need to have faith in the Lord and just keep his commandments. Praise be to God. So if that person is blessed and I am challenged, then praise be to God. And I also don't want to make the mistake of Peter of, of, of hearing this, learning about this, thinking, I got it. If I'm going to have to face some struggles in this life and I look at other people who aren't, then may God be glorified. And thinking, I understand, I won't falter. I think personally, at least for myself, I don't want to project, but I think this is a difficult lesson to learn. Regardless of what I've got to go through, may God be glorified. And may I just worry about serving him. So to kind of wrap this up, there's there's three very important lessons. Excuse me. That... Peter learns from this about following Jesus. One, that our commitment must overcome any obstacles that would stand in its way. Two, that we've got to be courageous to follow the Lord wherever that commitment may lead us. And then three, I I ought not fret about the role of others or whatever they've got going on in their life compared to my own and simply follow my Lord. His instructions stand no matter what else could be considered. Another way of saying this is that what Jesus is trying to get Peter to be is single-minded in his service and in his commitment. And that's what I'd like for us to take away this from this text this morning. Let others serve him or not if they will. Let the world fall apart if it will. But I need to walk by faith the path that God has set before me. And face the obstacles. Face them with courage. Face them with determination that I'm going to overcome them through my Lord. And may God help us to do so. So it might be this morning that you are a disciple of Jesus and yet you've not followed Jesus in the way that you should. Perhaps you've not had the courage that you should have had in some kind of circumstance. And where you thought you would be faithful, you falter. Maybe your resolution to overcome sin has not been what it should be. 
and you found yourself failing into that, falling into that sin again and again and again. And it is quite time to take it seriously and move past it. Or it might be you've been measuring yourself against others and have not been doing what you yourself should do. If in any way you stand in a position where you need the forgiveness of the Lord, it is offered. Same way that Jesus forgave Peter, he will most certainly forgive you. And if you wish to respond to the invitation this morning, um, speak to someone privately about it if that is what you need to do. Or if it's something that you would appreciate the, the strength and encouragement of your, of your brethren as a whole for, then please, by all means, come to the front as we stand and sing together.